Talk about delivering a title. You talk about me delivering the Intercontinental title. The only thing that I'll deliver is a big can of whoop-ass right to your front door. Slaughter, sweating bullets. Do I make myself clear? But you know what? Nothing comes between my Calvin Kleins and me. Except, of course, your wife, Terry. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What happened here last night? Somebody started riding here? And look at this bed. Look at it. Feel that thing. I have to get some new box springs from this baby tomorrow. <laughs> Dustin, it's almost 10 o'clock. Do you know where your wife is? Welcome everyone to the Wrestling's 20 Years Ago podcast. My name is Rory McNamara. Today we are going back in the time machine to September 1997 for Volume 2 Part 1. Looking at uh, the first two weeks of WWF television and their Grand Zero pay-per-view. Also for you this month, we have our Volume 1 show, which is WCW, with our main focus being their full broad show. We have another WWF show for you, that's Volume 2, Part 2, looking at the UK exclusive One Night Only events. And Volume 3 is our ECW show, which will be looking at their As Good As It Gets events. This is Volume 2, Part 1, the WWF first couple of weeks and Ground Zero. I have with me to go through the news. Mr. Dan Welling. Dan, how are you, sir? I'm very well, Rory. How are you? I am all right. I'm not bad, I'm ready to go through a, a lot of WWF stuff. I shall tell our listeners how we're going to do this uh, over this month. So, lots of WWF action. So, we're going to give you the news for the WWF this month. Then, on the other side of that, we will hand over to Bob, to Pete, and to me to look at Ground Zero and the first two Raws which took place. If you stick with us and go to Volume 2, Part 2, you'll then get myself and Dan talking about the one-night-only events and also some uh, very exciting occurrences on Monday Night Raw, particularly on September 22nd. But we will get there when we get there. Here is the news for the WWF this month. And it's been a fairly quiet month backstage for them, but it's been more than made up by the happenings in front of the curtain. We've had, as you've heard, two pay-per-views. We had a controversial title change and two exceptionally strong angles on the 22nd of September Raw helped make this the most eventful stretch of WWF programming for a long time. Having said that, the Ground Zero pay-per-view which took place on the 7th of September was a largely quiet affair in its own right and was effectively a setup show for next month's In Your House. The main event saw the first ever meeting between Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker end in a no contest after the two both attacked referees and officials. Most memorable was Undertaker's top rope dive onto Michaels and several other superstars just before the show went off the air. They will face each other again at the next month's In Your House called Bad Blood in a match being billed as Hell in a Cell. You can hear us preview this match in Volume 2, Part 2. Also on the show were wins for Brian Pillman, Brian Christopher, Savio Vega, Max Mini, The Headbangers, and Bret Hart successfully defended his World Wrestling Federation title against the Patriots. 
And 13 days later, the WWF held another pay-per-view event by the name of One Night Only. This took place at the sold-out NEC Arena in Birmingham, England, and was aired exclusively in the UK on Sky Box Office. It was headlined by the British Bulldog defending his European title against Shawn Michaels, and to the shock of most people, Michaels actually emerged as a winner when he removed David Boy's knee brace and trapped him in a figure-four leglock. Bulldog refused to quit, but referee Earl Hebner stopped the match, awarding the title to Michaels. Bulldog had earlier told media outlets that he was going to win the match for his sister Tracy, who has terminal cancer. Up until a week before the pay-per-view, this was the planned finish, and it is alleged that Michaels himself came up with a new ending, in order so Bulldog could supposedly get revenge on him in another UK-exclusive show next year. The rest of the card saw wins for Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Tiger Ali Singh, The Headbangers, The Legion of Doom, The Patriots, Vader and Bret Hart. And you can hear all about that in Volume 2. When the WWF returned to the USA, a live roar from Madison Square Garden played host to two very memorable segments. The first was the still-injured Stone Cold Steve Austin delivering a Stone Cold Stunner to none other than Vince McMahon, who is now being named openly as the owner of the company. Austin gave him the move as a result of frustration at the WWF telling him to work within the system, whilst at the same time not allowing him to wrestle. This is life imitating art, as Austin is still at least a month away from getting medical clearance. The second was the Federation debut of none other than Cactus Jack, after both Dude Love and Mankind pulled out of a Force Count Anywhere match against Helmsley. All three appeared on the Titan Tron thanks to some clever studio trickery, and Cactus then went on to defeat Hunter after a wild arena brawl. It is as yet unclear though if we will be seeing Mr. Bang Bang again. And as if that wasn't enough, in the after-show dark match, Bret Hart actually pinned Shawn Michaels in a short triple threat match, which also featured The Undertaker. But despite this excellent television, morale backstage is said to be very low among the talent. Some of the reasons for this are said to be perceived unfairness at the sacking of Sid two months ago, the continued push of Helmsley, and perhaps most crucially, a new drug testing policy. Although testing repeatedly takes place randomly, the feeling in the locker room is the wrestlers are now under suspicion will always be chosen to take the first test. At time of recording, nobody has failed, but at the start of the month, Road Warrior Hawk collapsed during a plane journey and required medical treatment. Occurrences such as this could mean the tests become even more frequent. Another bone of contention appears to be the freedom that Shawn Michaels gets during in-ring interviews. In a largely unaired segment on the September 15th Raw, he spent most of the time swearing and mocking Jim Ross, and also asserting that The Undertaker was scared of him, when in reality the dead man wasn't even in the building. Some people think that Michaels is behaving so badly that he is actually trying to get himself fired, but once again, there seems to be little to no actual interest in him from WCW. And a quick bit of housekeeping before we carry on. You can now find us on patreon.com forward slash wrestling20yrs. If you want to drop us $5 a month as a thank you for the life-enriching podcast we give you every month, um, it would be very welcome indeed. You will also get early and instant access to all all podcasts as they become available throughout the month. You will not need to wait until they all get launched at the end. They'll go straight into your inbox and you'll be able to listen to them ahead of all your friends, who you will then tell, because they will, they will then go up to Patreon as well. <laughs> the very opposite of a vicious circle. Just again, we're on patreon.com 
forward slash wrestling 20 YRS. So please, every little does help, keeps our overheads down and helps keep this podcast show on the road. And the ratings for the month and say, what's a lot of good television for the WWF this month, not reflected in the numbers, I'm afraid. On the, on the 8th of September, WWF posted a mere 2.2 against Nitro's 4.3. They improved a little on the 15th with a 2.6 against the 3.9. And on the 22nd, which was the live raw from Madison Square Garden, they actually dropped to a 2.4 against Nitro's 3.7. Right, I'm now going to hand over to Mr. Bob Bamba, Mr. Pete Kimber and myself to take you through the Ground Zero pay-per-view and the first two weeks of WWF programming in September 1997. Uh, back out of the news, change the presenter. I am Bob Bamber, being joined by Rory and Peter Kimber. Peter, good morning. Good morning, uh, Bob. How are we? Okay? Yeah, all very good, thank you. Uh, we are going to jump straight into the pay-per-view, WWF Ground Zero. Rory, can you start with the results? The results for Ground Zero. Brian Pillman defeated Goldust to win the services of Marlena for 30 days. Brian and Christopher defeated Scott Putsky by countout. Savio Vega defeated Crush and Farouk in a triple threat match. Max Mini defeated El Torito. In a four-way elimination match to win the vacant WWF Tag Team Championships, the Headbangers defeated the Legion of Doom, the Godwins, and the team of Owen Hart and the British Bulldog. Bret Hart defeated the Patriot to retain the WWF Championship. And our main event, Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker, went to an eventual no contest. Pete, what do you think of this show? Yeah, it started quite well, I thought. First match was OK, and it, I thought it was going to pick up towards the end, but it, it never really got going, I think, until probably the main event, which was was uh, definitely where we're going to get get to that at the end and worth talking about. But it was kind of just, I don't know, it never really built up, and then, you know, it, it was no up and down. It was just a really sort of flat level all the way through it. So... Uh, I guess we'll get into it a bit more, but it was okay. I'll leave it there, I suppose. Roy. Yeah, I largely agree. For a show which went in having quite a lot of fanfare with it being the first three-hour in-your-house pay-per-view, it felt more like a set-up show. It was almost their version of Clash of the Champions, in a way, on pay-per-view. It didn't feel particularly spectacular after the opening match for a good long time. I did like like the title match. At, uh, the main event, whilst it delivered on some levels, I think it was a bit of a letdown on others which we'll get to but this was a, a serviceable show but I was hoping for more I think you're both being a bit kind uh, this was a bad show um, it was the the first of the, the three hour in your house run you know of course it, it did what I think everyone would have said it was going to do which was just expose WWS lack of depth um, which we, we've known about for a long time um, and yeah, like as as I've kind of put in my review on, on the site, when that goes up, we'll do eventually. I'm a bit behind still. Um, when all of that goes up, it's like you know they're you know, they're just not that these monthly shows right now are, are just not conducive for the WWF. I think it works in WCW because they've got so much talent at the top end, and they've got so much work rate at the bottom that they can move about. Hogan's not available. Piper's not available. Sting hasn't wrestled all year. Like, you know, their th- three, arguably their three biggest names are off, off of most shows. And yet WCW still has enough star power to be able to carry a monthly three-hour pay-per-view. WF just don't. Um, 
you know, when you talk about Vader not being available or not being on this card, Austin being injured, um, that quickly just exposed them. Um, Undertaker and Michaels was the logical match, but one that in an ideal world they would not have done. Um, and the rest of the card was just really flat, with the exception of a balmy minis match that we'll come to. Um, other than that, this is a very forgettable show, I think. Um, and I think if you paid... Roy, is it 25 bucks now? I can't remember what exactly... It's 29.95, isn't it? 29.95, yep. Yeah, it's right. It's which is about 20 quid, I think, in, in our money or something like that. Um, you know, it's not... It's not a huge amount of money, but it's not like it's uh, it's not like it's pay five bucks for for three hours on a Sunday night. You're like, ah, oh, you know, nothing else on, I might as well. It's enough of a commitment where I think you're going to have to provide more than this. Um, it, otherwise, people are going to start choosing their spots. Go on, Pete. Is it double the price of the original? Is it fourteen ninety five dollars? I think it's two hours. Th- yeah, um, yeah, but I've got a feeling that went up at some point in the last year or so. Ah, right. Yeah. Um, I've got a feeling it started at fourteen ninety five, and then I think they went. We think the market can handle nineteen ninety five, and then I think they just carried on going up since. Um, right. I don't think the quality has gone with it. I'll be uh, I'll be honest. Anyway, we're in Louisville, Kentucky, with King Jr. and uh, Vince on the call. Vince says, first up, it's Goldust versus Marlena, which is always a good start. <laughs> Pre match video is very odd. There seems to be under the impression that if Goldust loses, Marlena will never get to see her daughter again, which is a little bit weird. But I suppose they've got to, got to build up jeopardy for it somehow. We open up with Goldust with Marlena versus Brian Pillman. If Goldust wins, Pillman must leave the WWF. And if Brian Pillman wins, Marlena will become his personal assistant for 30 days. Goldust hits a 20 punch in the corner Pillman isn't wearing a dress for those wondering feels like a very weird thing to say out of context still Pillman chokes Goldust with his shirt on the outside Pillman goes for Marlene and Goldust picks him off dropping him onto the ring steps Goldust cuts off a bulldog attempt and drops Pillman nut first on the top rope to leave I don't really know why if he left he would have lost um, Goldust suplexes him on the ramp and that gets a big reaction from the crowd Goldust goes for a bulldog and this time it's Pillman throwing him off Pillman locks in a camel clutch Pillman goes to the top but Goldust crotches him Goldust follows up and then throws him to the outside Marlena gets a slap in we return to the top Goldust wants a superplex Pillman throws him off and then misses a drop kick Goldust goes to the curtain call but Pillman manages to knock the ref out and he hits as he hits the move or before he hits the move rather Marlena gets on the apron goes to hit Pillman with the purse but he catches it and then hits Goldust with it Pillman pins him and wins the match Pillman drags Marlena to the back against her wheels not particularly the strongest of visuals we later find out as Lawler opens up the purse at ringside there's a brick inside of it we then cut backstage see Pillman bundling Marlena into the back of a car and driving uh, and driving off taking them both away Goldust runs after them but he's too late Rory well this was certainly better than their match last month though that couldn't be much worse they probably as a result of uh, the fact that Pillman has gone backwards in the ring ever since his injury, they kept it pretty simple. Their degree of difficulty was not high and they met the low to middling standards they set for themselves. This was one of those matches which really was all about the finish. That's all anybody was really waiting for and anywhere to really get there was just much of a muchness. A couple of decent spots, fairly well executed but forgettable. So this match existed purely for the last 30 seconds of it which they carried off, I thought, quite well. The only thing that really stuck with me about the match between Bell to Bell was just before Pillman administered three when most of the crowd seemed to be on his side on this one. I know we've said before that Golders just has not got begun as a babyface and there's no signs of that ending. 
But I think a lot of the people who now attend wrestling shows in 1997 quite like the idea of an a, a, attractive valet being at their beck and call for 30 days. So they were supporting somebody here who clearly is the most obvious heel in the world in this particular storyline that they were on his side. Yeah, the match was forgettably decent, but uh, it's all about what we got were when the bell rang, really. Yeah, I think this is a real, uh, real turn to uh, a storyline that's probably not ever been sort of out there in WWF in the past, and it's a real change of, of of scenery for them, I suppose. But I think Rory's right. The the fact that Goldust couldn't get the crowd behind him during this whole scenario when his wife's being dragged away into a car to be at Pillman's mercy for thirty days and thirty nights says it all, really. Um, a decent enough match. It was better, as you say, than the, the SummerSlam. Uh, I think the world would be debacle, I suppose, from those two. But it's a real sad fall from grace for, for Pillman, who's, who's been a great character, I guess, in the last sort of 12 months. But in the ring, I mean, they're having to really sort of cut short lots of the moves and the spots that he can do. Um, but Roy's right. It existed to obviously have the ending it did and to prolong the, the storyline. And, and Goldust has the kind of, you know, He's now going to be the hero, I guess, to save his wife. Um, but nobody really cares because the crowd just just love it, I think. And the, the demographic there obviously wants to see this scenario and they're enjoying it. So it worked on one level and I think on the other level it's, it's failed. Pete, are we two years removed from the Brian Pillman Johnny B. Bad match in WCW, that great 27-minute barn burner? Does that sound about right? Yeah, and probably how many years from the Jushin Liger match at Super Brawl all those years ago in WCW it just seems like you know what, what has happened I know the, the ankle injury is, has probably cost him dear and, and will probably continue to do so but I don't know what he is now Is he? he's not a high flyer anymore he's not particularly that technical he's just he's a bit of a yeah a bit of a scrappy wrestler yeah I mean, there's nothing really to just Find him now, so he's got a great character, or has had, you know, personalities clearly, you know, well into what he's doing. But in the ring, where probably it really does count, I think it's a bit of a busted flush these days. Yeah, and it's the, the shame is is that he's lost so much. Like he, he could have lost fifty percent of his, you know, in ring ability and still in serviceable. It feels like he's lost more, as in it feels like now there's just so much he cannot do. Um, that he's left to this punch, kick, walking, brawl type style. Um, and it doesn't help that Goldus is a dead act. It really doesn't. If you can't get fans on your side when, you're, you know, when your wife, when your partner is, is essentially up for grabs, <laughs> then you are not a good babyface. And, and not that he was ever a good heel either. He's just nothing. Um, and that didn't help. Yeah, it says very little that this was probably Brian Pillman's best match since his car accident. Um, that is a pretty low bar. Best singles match, certainly. Um, but yeah, it just didn't hold up. Um, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't that compelling. Um, you know, the, the action was okay. Like they both tried hard. It was probably one of Goldust's better matches as well, which, which doesn't say that much either. Um, and the finish makes sense. Roy, I just don't, you know, for me, the, you know, the, the, the visual of Pillman kind of bundling Marlena into a car and then speeding off. I don't know what they're trying to achieve here, but I don't know that I'd be going down that road. No, it's, um, the, the potential connotations of something like that are, they're too, uh, they're almost too concerning to try and 
even begin imagining, if you know what I mean. Uh, very, that's, very edgy. Edgy is the word. That's where they seem to be taking the uh, a lot of the TV product these days as well. Uh, fill, in, fill in the blanks if there are any blanks to fill in. I was just going yeah. back to, to, uh, to, to Pillman as well, guys. You know the, the Hollywood Blondes tag team with Steve Austin and Brian Pillman, obviously quite a, a, a great tag team back in the day a little bit. It's amazing to think how Pillman has changed... Um, and Austin has changed because Austin was quite the technical 25 minute you know he'll do that opening match with a I don't know, Bobby Eaton etc to now look at Austin who very much is a, a punch kick and a, a finisher kind of kind of guy and but Pillman's not adjusted himself correctly is he I was thinking the other day but he's not really thinking my limitations are now where they are I need to move myself into that bracket but he's not been able to do so and whereas Austin seems to be able to transition into that perfectly so it's it's funny how they've sort of were almost similar and now they're totally worlds apart, aren't they? Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Austin post injuries, like what, what he comes back, like whether he's able to compete at the level he did before. I mean, he, you know, he he's had pretty good. Right, we're talking about match with Bret Hart, so you know, it's difficult to work out how much of it was on. Yeah, had very good wrestling matches in his WWF run. Um, the match against Owen was a really good match up until the uh, up until the injury. Um, but yeah, like Pillman just, I don't know whether he's not capable or whether it's, you know, he hasn't found a balance or whether he's just trying to work out the best way of, you know, fitting a, a wrestling star in alongside this character. Cause it doesn't make sense for him to be wild, crazy Brian Pillman and then be all technical work over the arm in the ring. It's just, it just doesn't work. Um, but I think he's got to find, if he can find 10%, he might get there. Um, but I just don't know. I don't know yet whether he's there. But yeah, it's an interesting interesting comparison with Austin, another guy who's very much found his feet uh, from a character standpoint, seemingly at the expense to a degree of, of what you would have said he was good at four or five years ago. Not necessarily a bad thing. They're both making more money now. Um, but, you know, we are where we are. Moving on next is Scott Putsky versus Brian Christopher. Fans are chanting, Jerry's kid. I've still got no idea why this is even a thing, but there we are. Christopher hits a body slam and goes to the top and gets caught with a gut shot coming down. Christopher hits a nice German suplex. He comes off of the top to the outside. Putsky catches him but goes down clutching his knee and that's how it ends. Putsky's unable to get up. Definitely not the plan as Lord as a horrendous job trying to kill some time with a post-match promo. But Christopher wins ultimately by I count out as Putsky can't continue. Pete, a bit of a non-event, really. Probably much of a night, though, Bob, if we're honest. Well, yeah, probably, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I, I think Brian Kistovac, oh, I mean, I don't, as you say, why are they, you know, playing the pretense that he isn't Jerry Lawler's son? He's got that really annoying, cackly laugh thing he does before he starts to wrestle. Uh, this match probably was never going to be any better than probably ended up being, so... I don't know a great deal about Scott. I know was he signed recently, Scott Putsky? Is that right? He was quite a, a new signing, isn't he? Or fairly? Yeah. I don't know what. And is he a light heavyweight as well? Because I'm guessing that's kind of how they pigeoned Brian Christopher originally, didn't they? As a, as a light heavyweight, or at one point. So he looked quite a quite a big guy to me. But obviously he's gone down with this injury, and I think Jerry Lawler came out almost to start berating, and then realised actually his kneecap was halfway up his thigh bone. Maybe I should leave him alone on the ground to be stretched out. So dud, and that was the end of that, wasn't it? Roy. Virtually nothing to say about this one except that injury looked horrible. His kneecap was in a place where kneecaps are not meant to go, and. Uh... 
looks like he's going to be out for a while. I hope he's okay. That's all you can say. This this match ended before it began. Not that I was particularly looking forward to it beforehand, but there you go. And Christopher just sucks. We move on next to the triple threat match of Savio Vega versus Farouk versus Crush. I've been looking forward to this all <laughs> All three men in the ring at the same time. It's chaotic, particularly as Crush has the belt. A lot of championship, obviously. Uh, chaotic, but not particularly good as Farouk gets at a low blow. That puts Crush out of action, so we get down to one-on-one. Savio gets a big chop in on Farouk in the corner. He fires Farouk across the ring, but runs into a big boot. We get a rest hold. Fucking three-man match, and we got a rest hold. Fruit goes to the top and does a splash, breaks up the hold. Crush has an electric chair drop. Savio makes the cover and almost wins it. Fruit goes for a chin lock. Crush just walks around. He and Fruit briefly seem to make an alliance. They both attempt to pin Savio. The ref just stands there. I mean, why not? That alliance ends. Crush hits a backbreaker on Farouk and Savio breaks it up. Now, Savio and Crush teaming up. They hit a double spike pile driver. Savio asks for a high five, but Crush just dumps him over the top. A heart punch from Crush to Farouk, a spin kick from Savio to Crush, and Savio pins Crush for the three. Pete, it wasn't the worst three-way match to include Savio Vega this month, is the best praise I can give it. <laughs> well, you mean Savio Vega, the king of triple threat matches, as he uh, announced to himself, I think, the other day, didn't they? So, uh, oh God, I don't know where to begin. I mean, obviously these guys were, obviously it's the gang warfare, they're the leaders of their faction, but I mean, I'd rather have had all of it out there and every single member of, of them and have a look at 12 man as opposed to the three way as you say breaking up a rest hole in a triple threat match is just ridiculous when they're all available to be in the ring Crush did a heart punch I think that's about as much as I can say about Crush um, obviously I'm a big Savio Vega fan you know I'm, it's not quite glacier level with Dell, but it's, it's near enough with him but even the end with the, the, the wheel kick finish looked pretty lame and to, to get to get the win and Farouk I suggest is now well as, as well, he's still the leader of the nation domination but he came off looking awful at the end of this match I think where does it go from here I mean that's, that's, that's the worry Savio wins but where does this whole gang warfare end now? Because it seems like it's already finished. Poor Why? match, though. Poor match. What wild, uncoordinated brawls involving 12 guys. Good. Literally anything else bad. And if you ever needed further proof, if you ever wanted further proof, then sit down and watch this match, and then watch it again, and then watch it again, and then... Uh, consider doing something else with your life that doesn't involve being a fan of professional wrestling. Uh, this was... Atrocious, quite frankly. I went in with well, two obvious biases here. One, the fact that I hate everybody involved in the match, and two, that I'm not a, not a fan of any real form of multi-man triple threat three-way dance match. I they stretch credibility and believability for me too much, and some of the selling issues you get when people are out there for five minutes when they've just been thrown to the outside in a match they'd normally brush off in five milliseconds just so two people could do their set piece, and they magically hop back in to break up the pin. That happens far too often in even good kind of triple threat three-way dance matches. They did that spot here about 50 times, to the point where the crowd were just outright laughing at them. And it's not even as if these three had the smarts to do any sort of decent three-way Tower of Doom spots or anything like that. They all just did their normal, tawdry, nothing stuff. I mean, if I see that spot one more time where Farouk stands aboard his uh, opponent's head and jaws to the crowd, and then they magically, magically summon themselves up to get him into an electric chair position, 
with that look of shock on his face because they'd done that to him when he's only ever received it about 5,000 times in his career before. If that gets to 5,001, then there's going to be trouble. And as for <laughs> as for Pete's boy, Savio, uh, the only move he can do is that spin kick. It's like when you discover how to do a special move on our old favourite Mortal Kombat. Yes, I can do the uh, the fireball by pressing back down arrow. I'm going to do that now 50 <laughs> times in a match and try and win. That's all he can do. And even MP, as you rightly say, he couldn't even get that right at the end. He sort of caught crush, I think it was, round about the top of the arm. But yes, yeah. a badly worked match. The kind of match I don't like between three people who I hate. Yay, wrestling. <laughs> oh, dear. I, I mean... Peter, I'll come to you on this. You have, yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. That was. It's your turn. Sorry, Bob. You ain't getting out of this. You ain't getting out of this one. <laughs> uh, We've had on. to. Now it's your turn. Yeah. Um. I. I. I don't know. Like, Savio's rubbish. Um, Crash isn't. He's rubbish. And then there's Farouk, who's okay. Like, there's something with Farouk, but yeah. You, you stand around shit long enough and you start the smell of it, right? Um, and, and yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the idea with these... Like, the triple threat matches, you know, on the house shows sort of seem to make sense because they do the main events and it means that if, you know, someone gets injured, they can pull one of them out and put them somewhere else and then you've still got a main event and it means that you can bundle three big names into a match and you can mess about because it, it's live events, etc. But... There is no combination of these three wrestlers that result in a good match. So adding in all three of them doesn't help. It just makes it exponentially worse. Um, and so we just get, they, they walk around, they stand, because I thought the whole point of three of matches is you knock one of the guys out, he goes to the floor and sells, and the other two go at it for a while. They just all stand in the ring. And, you know, there's a, there's a few things they can do. And then otherwise, you've got one guy doing a move to the other, a third guy just watching. And this whole thing, of, oh, shall we team up, shall we not? Um... I don't think anyone's really got through their matches right. I mean, ECW did the the famous one with in uh, in '94 with, with Douglas Sabu and uh, Terry Funk, but that involved long periods of the match where there was only that match was you know better part of an hour long. That involved long periods of the match where one of the guys wasn't involved at all, and that involved a fuckload of interference. ECW since then, I don't particularly think have got three O matches particularly right, other than Paul Heyman's pretense of having the champion losing, uh, being eliminated first, and those are elimination matches too. These just don't make any sense. They're just convoluted, and as I say, the one bit of praise I can give it, it wasn't technically the worst three way match that Xavier Vega was involved in this month. Um, and that's where I'll end it. We move on next to El Torito versus Max Mini. Max does love a head scissors. He weighs in at about 85 pounds, apparently, which is about the uh, weight of one of my legs. He does another than just launch himself on Torito on the floor. Great reaction from the fans. Torito hits a body slam, misses a front flip. Max Mini then actually starts working the arm. Trito bites Max on the arse Max back to the arm Trito bites him on the arse again Max then kicks the ref and bites him on the arse The ref runs after him and it's all gone a bit weird 
Max sits on Jerry Lawler's lap and puts on his crown. Max is about like three foot ten or whatever. He's tiny. Uh, fans chat Jerry's kid at him, which for an American audience is genuinely very funny. Max rolls into a pin and Tweeto just into the ring, sorry, and Tweeto just smashes him with an axe kick. Max is a hurricane runner for a lovely near fall. Trito smashes Max with a power bomb. Max hits a lovely pair of arm drags in a third and a great acai moonsault to the outside. Max comes off of the top with a head scissors, hits a sunset flip for a victory and a big pop from the crowd. Rory? Yeah, I really enjoyed this. I think it's quite interesting actually that like, 30 minutes early we have our opening match which ends with a female ballet being shoved into a car. By a co-worker stealing his co- you know, the wife of a co-worker and stealing stealing another co-worker, and now here we have real kid-friendly mid-eighties carny fun. It's on the same show, and I don't feel that it was particularly out of place. I it felt like a palate cleanser in a good way. It does help that uh, Mini in particular, Max Mini, former Muscarita Sagrada, I mean, he's clearly extremely good at what he does. His moves look good. I, I enjoy seeing him do a headset as much more than I enjoy seeing Hector Garza's spinning body pressing or any of the other people in WCW who I now just zone out with completely. It also helps that Torito is pretty hard-hitting as well. This was good, just, just good fun. I don't think it pretended to be anything else. Did they overdo it with the, you know, biting on biting the ref on the arse spots. Yes, they did. If you're going to have a midget match which goes more than two or three minutes, then you've got to expect that. But Jerry's kid chant, I thought, was great credit where it's due. The only thing I would have changed about this was all the things they could do to each other. It just ends with a sunset flip. I would have, I think one of Max's bigger moves would have been a nicer way to end this one. But yeah, I have absolutely no complaints here whatsoever, even with it being on pay-per-view. Absolutely fine. Sometimes you do need this. Pete? I can't believe I'm going to agree with Rory in terms of watching a mini-match and thinking, actually, it was <laughs> just what was needed probably at the time in, in the show. Um, I don't get how you can bite someone in a mask, because both of them did bites with masks <laughs> on with their teeth being covered, which was interesting. And if you kick a referee, is that not a DQ? And then a referee runs around after to admonish Ryan. But, but the joke is he's small, so it can't possibly hurt. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know where this is going in terms of, you know... God forbid there'll be a, a, a mini division uh, emerging from uh, from this match, but I think Rory's right. The finish, I think they could have displayed a bit more of Max Mini's skill, maybe, or more of a a, a credible finisher than the, the sunset flip at the end. I think it was a bit of a a bit of a lame end. To otherwise, entertaining sort of what ten minutes of of action. So no, enjoyed it. I can't believe even saying it, but yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah, um, this was a this was a ridiculous match um, in that it you know it just you know it had no real context no real bill no real nothing both came in completely cold and the the minis in WWF are generally just rubbish right that's the idea they're very forgettable they're very you know whatever um, but this was this had the right balance of great action without a ridiculous pace um an athlete in Max Mitty who is fantastic. Let's not let's not dispute any of that. Um, and it also 
you know, just you know, some excellent action. That it, it was, it was a match that was built quite well. They they kind of had a lot of action early on. Then they went to some comedy. Then they had the thing with Maximilian on the outside, and they went back into the ring. And then they built to a few more bigger moves. It felt quite well paced. The crowd loved it. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. Look, I, I don't know. That there's, I don't think there's much longevity in an eighty-five pound wrestler. You know, beyond maybe a, a an opening card act, I don't think you can go much anywhere with that. This isn't really Mexico. I don't think you can really build that into anything. Um, but yeah, worked really, really well, and a really, really fun match. We see a clip from Friday night's main event. Slaughter says Austin has more guts than brains. We're back live now, uh, and says Austin will not be allowed to return to action until he has fully completed his rehab. He's in the ring with Jim Ross. Oh, no, that was a clip. Sorry, we're now back in the room with Jim Ross. There we go. Um, Slaughter seems to be on a high into nothing, although, to be honest, it can't be any worse than his promo on the Raw the next night. Out comes Dude Love, followed by Steve Austin, for a big pop for Austin. Basically, they're doing the thing where they're going to strip them both of the tag titles. Austin squares up to Slaughter. He says to JR, I want you to blow it out of your ass, whatever that means. He tells Slaughter to drop down and give him 20 as he throws the belt to the floor. They end up losing the belts. JR lectures Austin on getting him back to 100%, and Austin hits him with a stunner. Massive reaction for that, as there was basically for everything Austin did. And there was supposed to be a long stretch job for JR, but apparently they, they kind of forgot to bring the stretcher back after they took the Putski out. So, uh, so there we go. Roy, what do you think of all this? Amazing. Is JR a big enough name to do this to? Yes, he is. For those in the know, they will be aware that uh, Austin and JR were on the good pals backstage in uh, JR's WCW stage before he split in uh, in 93. He's always been singing his praises. Even if you don't know that, this is Steve Austin taking out his frustrations on a popular commentator. Yes, they tried to turn JR heel a year ago, but the less said about that, the better. And even then, all the crowd, smart, smart, casual families, they went absolutely nuts for it. Steve Austin, at this point, can do, in the most literal sense of the phrase, no wrong. Everything he does, people are molten for. Because it goes back to what I said almost a year ago. He's just himself. He just does not care. He's going to this character is going to carry himself the way he wants to. And if you don't like it, tough. He doesn't want to have to give up this tag team belt. But if you're going to take it off him, okay, take it off me. But it's going to be on my terms. Bang. And JR just happened to be in kayfabe terms in the wrong place at the wrong time. It worked on every level. Hey. Yeah, I think... Uh, <laughs> Steve Austin is 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 going one way, and it's 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 the white hot scenario for him, and it's it's something for the fans and the crowd and that demographic we always spoke about previously. Um, the guy just couldn't give a well, I was going to do a massive expletive there, but he couldn't give a shit about anything whatsoever. He does what he wants on his terms. I think people connect with that, and that's why the crowd were just like, yeah, okay, we're going with this, and this this. If this carries on where this anti-authority, or I'll just come out and stunner who, who the hell I want and talk to anybody the way I want. I mean, he's got you know Vince McMahon's sort of looking a little bit, a bit worried in, in the uh, commentating booth about what's going to happen next. It just leads to great telly and, and hopefully great things to come and the very unexpected what's going to happen next. So it makes you want to tune in and see when Austin's going to come back out to the ring or on an interview or a set piece thing. What, what's he going to do next? Because really anything can happen. I think that's brilliant. 
you know, I feel like Austin seems to exist in like this alternative plane or this kind of alternative dimension. You kind of got faces, heels, and then Steve Austin, who you know is is treated is gets fans' reactions like a face, even though he acts like a heel. And I get the feeling that Austin is probably immune to both, as in he can attack whoever he likes, and it won't matter. He could attack Undertaker and he'd get cheers. He could attack Bret Hart and he'd get cheers. He could attack you know anyone and he'd get cheers. You know, he could attack. He could attack you know uh, an old lady in the crowd. I think he'd get cheers. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I feel like that's Austin's role right now. It's just this guy that transcends everyone else. Um, you know, and it helps right now that from a, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of being forced into this booking position. They kind of have to keep him on TV because they can't afford to have him off of it. Um, but he's not in a position where he can really take bumps. So it means that nobody can really attack him. And so basically, he's just attacking everyone else without any real kind of reason to have to attack him back or any real justification or ability to. Um, which in some ways has kind of booked them into a hole that there's only one way out of. And it just so happens the one way out is like really entertaining. It's just Austin coming out, running his mouth, and wiping people out. There's two more instances of that this month coming up. Um, one of which you'll hear about in the second part of the show. And it's just like, yeah, um, this works really, really well. Like Austin's Austin's doing things that no one else has really been able to do before. People don't really attack commentators. They don't really attack referees. I know that's starting to become commonplace now, but by the end of the match, it was kind of a bit of a, a farce. Um, but, you know, Austin attacks Vince McMahon like this. Month. People don't do that. Vince McMahon's the... Yeah, the owner of the company slash the lead commentator, depending on how much you know or, or how much you're how much you're willing to just watch TV and take it at face value. Those guys are generally off limits, beyond other than the odd argument. Particularly Vincent Mann is a babyface; he's not a heel. It's not like Vincent Mann is a guy that that gets what's coming to him. It's not like Jim Ross, the guy that gets what's coming to him. Austin is like, yeah, screw you. And it just so happens they've got a guy that people like so much that they just you know go with it. Um, you know, where this leads, I don't know. You know, it kind of gets to the point now where I feel like they might try and get Austin over as far as they can, and then it's just like, well, it's fine. We'll just bounce people off of him. Um, you know, but it's it's nice that he's away from Brett. I think that's good. Um, and I think we're getting to the point now where Austin against Brett Hart is probably the only main event they've got for WrestleMania next year. Um, but there we go. I think, and Roy, you're going to have more to discuss about this in, uh, in, in part two of this month's show. We'll move on. It's the headbangers, Mosh and Thrasher versus the Godwins, Henry and Phineas versus Owen Hart and the British Bulldog versus the Legion of Doom, Hawk and Animal for the WWF Tag Team titles in an elimination match. Thrasher and Henry starts off, Thrasher tags in Phineas in that WCW spot that always is rubbish. They don't go any further with it as Mosh ends up in the ring. A lot of stalling currently with Animal and Henry who tags in Mosh. Owen Bulldog not involved so far, which is a bit odd. Hawk comes off at the top with a clothesline, Owen gets in and Henry hits a big press slam. Big LOD chance as Phineas works over Animal in the corner. He comes off of the top straight into a big boot. The bucket gets involved, Animal and Hawk go nuts with it on the Godwins and they both get disqualified. The headbangers do a double team move with Mosh being suplexed onto Henry. One of the headbangers pins Henry, I think, and then there were two. Bulldog pins Thrasher for a stalling suplex, then Owen hits a body slam. Bulldog goes for a clothesline, Thrasher catches an arm into a sort of arm drag that looks really nice. Mosh tags in and goes at both of them. Owen trips him running off the ropes and Borg does a spin wheel kick but levels Owen by accident. 
And goes to locking a sharpshooter at Walk Steve Austin. He stands his own heart. The place fucking explodes and the headbangers win the titles. We see the headbanger celebrating with the crowd backstage. We join Jim Ross um, with a nice pack on his deck, having a go at Sergeant Slaughter. Pete? That would probably be the headbangers' biggest pop they'll ever hear in their entire career, I'd imagine, thanks to uh, Steve Austin's interference at the end. Um, what are the Legion of Doom done or doing backstage at the moment to, to kind of deserve where they are? Because the crowd's still massively over with them. Um, of all the teams involved in this match, it seems a bit strange that they were first out after deliberately, you know, bucket shots to the head and disqualified after 10 minutes of pretty much nothing to begin with. Um, Bulldog and Owen didn't really take part in this match as such, which is why the match, I think, was was poor. I mean, I don't think it was going to be great anyway, but those two at least have got a bit... I mean, Owen especially has got a bit more quality and could have done some done some stuff with a few of these guys, but they barely really got into the match at all. The Godwins... Well, I don't know what to say about them. It's just... I mean, they replaced Austin and Do Love, so I guess the Headbangers, it was probably going to be their title to win, but they've not really had much of a, of a build, and I think it's just all based on Austin getting some revenge on Owen Hart, which means they lose the belts as more of the Headbangers being a great tag team and now the, the title holders. So uh, I just I just hope, in a way, the Legion of Doom are, are built back in and, and can get a title run, because clearly they're still massively over, but... I'm guessing there must be a few backstage issues or they've got work to do in that sense. Roy? Didn't enjoy this until the last minute or so. I'm with Pete. What, what is it with LOD? The crowd still love them, but there's nothing... They've got nothing to offer anymore other than an entrance. And the fact that even here they just wouldn't do a clean job just made me extremely angry. Them going out on how they want to do it They've clearly got some pull backstage. I just wish they'd just go away. By the sound of it, Hawk has been hawking it up a bit backstage again as well quite a lot, so maybe he wants to take care of that rather than risk hurting himself or others in the ring. The Godwins are rubbish. We got down to the nitty-gritty, if you really want to call it that, for the last two or three minutes, and it was okay. Uh, Owen and Bordog didn't really seem to want to be there for whatever reason today. Again. I don't see any problem with the headbangers winning the belts. They've got a residual pop. I don't think the pop would have been anywhere near as big if they just pinned uh, pinned Owen and the Bulldog without our friend Steve Austin coming down to get the crowd back up there. And they went nuts when he gave that to Owen. Just, just they, <laughs> Lightning in a bottle there, OK? Whenever they do eventually have their rematch, no, that one is going to be on. I want to be, be front row and centre for that. Yeah, I don't mind the headbangers winning holding the belts uh, for a little while. They are, they're fairly over, so not spectacularly so. They're sloppy in the ring, but in a way that's kind of their gimmick. They're sort of supposed to be. Sure. This is one of those matches where to use one of my favourite phrases on the pod. It did what it accomplished, but I don't want to see it accomplished ever again. Yeah, um, maybe I should have seen this coming, but, you know, given that it seems like at the moment you can roll at Austin as many times as you like and the crowd not going to get bored of him, but I was a little bit surprised by this. I, I, I just figured it was going to go straight to Owen and the Bulldog, and that was where we were going to go back to. They were, you know, they're by far and away the best team in this division. Um, I think we'll find us on the final currently back at ECW, so expect them back soon. Um, 
Yeah, like the, the headbangers seem to have something. They're not particularly my kind of tag team. You know, they're they're not particularly good or over um, or anything really. Um, but yeah, they were a means to an end. And to be honest, I'd have, you know, if it was them or the Godwins uh, getting the win, I'd have taken the headbangers. They're a little bit different, um, but I don't expect them to hold the titles for long. Uh, quite well, they're going next. I don't know. Um, to me, it'd be logical if Fernando Lafon could have come back, put the titles on them, and then set up that against Owen and Bulldog at some point. But we were there last year, and that never worked either. Um, yeah, it was fine. It wasn't a very good match. Uh, a long time with nothing happening. And when you know, there's eight guys in the match, and Owen, only Owen is really better than good, and only Bulldog's really better than average, and then you spend the first 10 minutes and neither guy gets involved, that is a bad move, that is a bad sign if you're looking to do anything of any note, um, and yeah, it, it, it was, you know, it was worth it for the pop at the end, you know, Austin saved this match, I think, if the, if Odin Bulldog had just won, this would have been a very poor match, but at the end of it, you're like, ah, Rory, I think as you say, it, it, it accomplished what it set out to, I think that's the, uh, that's as far as our prize can go. We get comments from the 1980 Heisman Trophy winner who played alongside Del Wilkes. Also comments from Japanese wrestling journalist Jimmy Suzuki and from Wilkes himself. We get back to the interview from Patriot, uh, oh, sorry, with Patriot, interviewed by Sonny. Sounds a bit awkward. We've on to the semi-main event. It's the Patriot versus Bret Hart for the WWF title. How Finkel informs us that this match has a one-hour time limit, so presumably Undertaker and Sean can go about five hours. Bret goes out to Patriot before the bell rings. Bret hangs Patriot in a tree of woe in the corner with the American flag on it. Patriot or Del Wilkes, the basic interchanger at this point, hits a drop kick, then a clothesline to the outside. Back in the arm, Wilkes starts working the uh, back in the ring. Sorry, Wilkes starts working the arm. Brett kicks off the turnbuckles, but Patrick keeps it held in. Brett is in the corner. He flips the bird at some fans. Brett shockingly goes after Patriot's leg. We get the turnbuckle figure four spot. Out comes the British Bulldog. The match is really slowed down with Brett on top. Patriot manages to hit a suplex to wake up the crowd a little. A sunset for it from Patriot gets a two and then a DDT. Patriot bounces off the ropes right by Bulldog, who trips him in the Dunbay face spot of the show. Patriot recovers, knocks Bulldog off the apron, and then nearly picks it up with a roll-up. He hits the uncle slam, but Bulldog breaks up the pin. Patriot goes after Bulldog. Out comes babyface Vader, who beats up Brett a bit. Patriot hits a shoulder tackle off of the top. The crowd are surprisingly into that as a near fall. Patriot's an atomic drop into a back suplex. Then drops an elbow from the second rope, or Brett does, sorry. Patriot rallies with some strikes in the corner, then knocks down the ref going for a big swing. Patriot's the uncle slam. The ref, uh, the ref takes a few seconds to come to, and Brett gets his foot on the ropes. Brett goes for an inside cradle. Patriot nearly wins it, uh, wins it himself after he rolled it over. Patriot locks in the sharpshooter. The hard camera briefly starts shaking. Brett rolls it over and locks in himself. At least this one isn't in the turnbuckle. Huge USA chance if the Patriots submits during this. Oh, he does. Brett wins the title after Patriots submits in the submission hold. Did not expect that with USA chance going on in the background. Rory? I think this one might split opinions a bit. I really like the article. This was a really smartly booked and worked match. The Patriots' style, as bizarre as it sounds given his gimmick, it's not one really attuned for US audiences. You can see he did the bulk of his work, made his name in Japan. His in-ring style is very map-based, very hold-based, and it's not particularly spectacular. 
two things here. One, because Brett is still one of the best workers in the world when he wants to be, when he has to be, managed to adapt to that style like the absolute professional that he is. Not only that, he was able to make the Patriots real laborious, in a good way, mat work, look like it was something which could be a legitimate threat to the WWF title. So, when we did hit the big moves and the near falls at the end, the crowd really were into them. I think that's one of Brett's un- well, undervalued positions as a performer. He can make people seem like they they are legitimate. Opp- they have a legitimate opportunity to beat him. And this is a guy who, don't forget, we still don't know a whole lot about. Vince even said on commentary, we don't know much about the Patriot. This is somebody going for the world title. When was the last time Vince said that on commentary about somebody going for the main belt? Yes, I am somebody who really does like the hold, counter-hold style himself, so I suppose I'm quite biased. Yes, I really did like this. Um, They earned the last three minutes. The crowd really got into it. I do wonder, Bob, you sort of bring it up there yourself, whether they might have, I mean, I suppose they might have been pushed for time, but the fact that the eventual submission, the end of the match came when the entire crowd were chanting USA. Maybe they could have added on an extra minute, maybe the Patriot a chance to get to the rope, and then uh, 30 seconds later, Brett puts it back in the middle of the ring, gets the win that way. That might have been a more satisfying ending. But yes, I really enjoyed this, perhaps more than I was going to. And that's somebody who likes the work of both, pe- both people involved. So yes, a perhaps surprising thumbs up. Great. Yeah, I was quite confused when they had the um, the promo and the interview with the uh, Heisman Trophy. Uh, was he a finalist or runner-up? His former teammate. I think it was the winner. winner. Sorry, yeah. But you had Dale Wilkes' face, sort of. I just try to as an award. It's not a competition. You, you can't really be a, you know, you're not really a competitor in the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's some, the, sort of, some sort of Player of the Year award. I think. Yeah, I, 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 I think, I think it's college think football, it's, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's College yeah. Football Player of the Year. I believe. That's right. Yeah. So that's right. it's just weird to see his face sort of interspersed into the interview, and then we have this obviously full masked up guy and the, the Japanese segment was him getting beaten down and, and pinned I think on one of the things <laughs> weird way of introducing semi Del Wilkes as a, as a character um, for me I just think they absolutely screwed the Patriot over I think um, to, to finish the way it finished and also you got beat down afterwards as well I think Brett had to look you know he is currently the, the dominant I suppose he always the anti-American uh, guy, he's he's main event, isn't he? He's Bret Hart, but they could have made the Patriot a bit more, have a bit more longevity, maybe. Because I don't probably see now him getting another chance at the title going forward. I think to to put on the sharpshooter, and then it looked like Bret was actually going to tap at one point. You could almost see like the move. Then obviously he reversed it really well, and the Patriot. What five seconds later? Probably ten seconds later, it was all over. And I just thought. It just felt a bit flat, and then he got beaten down and choked out with his own flag. I just thought it didn't seem to do the Patriot any good. They are looking to build this guy up, and they've done a little bit of character movement with him and getting to know a little bit about Del Wilkes and who he is. They seem to just shit all over him in, at the end of the match, but it wasn't a bad match at all. I think it was uh, uh, your classic Brett. I think they eventually sort of meshed quite well and gelled in the end. Um, quite slow, a bit ploddy at times. Um, Bulldog's introduction, don't quite, I, I can get it to a certain point, but again, you know, I'm a stickler for the rules, but if you blatantly pull the, the guy's leg onto the rope in front of the referee in full view, is that not a DQ as well? Or at least 
bulldog centre the back. Vader comes out for a bit of a bit of a rumble, and then it all just kicks off. So it did get better towards the end, but I just think that they've they've missed an opportunity with potential. You mentioned about the roster depth and the quality they've got. Is the Patriots somebody they could have played a longer game with? I feel like here they've they've almost nullified him. I think Patriots' biggest mistake was not going for the sharpshooter and the turnbuckle. That would have been uh, that that would have been the move that definitely would have finished the match, I suppose. Um. Roy, has Bret Hart got any other style of match? I feel like we've seen this like a dozen times now, just the same match. Yeah, this year maybe, but no, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's I'm not sure that's right. I mean, this to me seemed like a very different match to the one he had with Undertaker last month, was it not? Yes, you like, yes, he likes he likes working the leg, but if he moves does, the sharp, right? no, if you finish the moves the sharpshooter, if wrestling was a legitimate fight. You'd, you'd do that, wouldn't you? I mean, I'm not going to pretend I'm Bret Hart's number one apologist. We have other people on our staff who can do that job for me. But uh, I personally think it does make sense. It can it can get boring, Bret's style. It can. I mean, the example I always use was that match with Sid at its time uh, last December, which was almost too realistic for, his own, for its own good. Stomp Sid in the back of 15 minutes and hope to win with a sharpshooter. You've got to try and mix it up. And he can and does do that. He didn't there. He did last month, and he did here, in my humble opinion. Yeah, it, you know, t- t- to me, a, a, a paid-by-numbers Bret Hart as heel match against a, a very flat, very, you know, nobody thought Patriot was going to win this match. That didn't help. Um, you know, it's, they couldn't even get behind Patriot in the whole USA thing, really. I know they got going at the end. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, if... I think Bret Hart's style works in matches that matter. If the matches don't matter, you're just watching Bret going through the motions. Um, and it'd be nice to see him change it up a little bit. Be, I, I guess would be what I would say. I mean, yeah, you're right. It makes sense. You know, when, you, when you've only got one finisher and it involves you know, crossing the legs and working the back, then that's what you're going to do during the match. Um, I just feel like we've seen this match a lot now. And it's like, OK, Bret, let's, let's see something different. I don't think it was massively different to the match Undertaker last month. I, I think it was the, the, the reason that feels different was because of Shawn Michaels' involvement. That that gave that match a match. Otherwise, it was just Brett doing the same stuff to Undertaker that he always does. At least when Brett was a babyface, he was selling a lot. Um, then it mattered who his opponent was. Now that he's a heel, he's he's doing a lot of the work. And it's often the same stuff. And I don't necessarily know that's a criticism. This was a good match. Um, but it's like, yeah, I just get the feeling that people are going to get bored of this style if you keep doing it over and over again without doing anything differently. But then again, what do you do differently? I suppose it's uh, all, all a very valid point. Match was fine. Um, you know, whether I'd have Patriot, you know, submitting in a sharpshooter just as the fans stopped chanting USA, USA, I don't know. Um, but equally, this was exactly the kind of match set up for Brett just to win cleanly. That was exactly what it was put there for and exactly, you know, box ticked, um, which was fine. I just, yeah, where they go going to pay from here, I don't know. But I don't necessarily know they've got any plans for him. I wonder whether they're just like, OK, you know, and he wrestled in the ill-fated triple threat match we're going to discuss after the show. Um, I, I just wonder whether that Patriot will bring him in, will shunt him into a main event slot, and then we'll put him where we always intended to put him. Because Patriot feels to me like a mid-card act. Yeah, the Mr. USA thing is kind of opening card, mid-card fodder, good worker, very patriotic. He's like a modern-day Jim Duggan, right? Just stick him in the middle of a card and he's fine. 
people people react to me if they don't know who he is. Like you know, I, I don't know that. To me, I, I don't know that doing having him as Del Wilkes is particularly a good idea. I think he's got a little bit more of the Patriot, even though he's got quite a low ceiling. Um, but this was as far as you could take it. A one and done with Brett. Match was fine. No real drama. No real um, you know, danger. No real jeopardy. But that's okay. Um, and the right guy won. Just to me, I just feel like Brett Hart matches should be more than this. If if Brett is the great wrestler that some people think he is, I feel like he should be capable of doing more than one very kind of sterile and dare I say it, quite flat style. Um, you know, I don't know that watching Brett work someone's leg for 15 minutes is all that interesting. Sometimes I know it's realism, and I know I'm always talking about realism, so I suppose I'm be careful what I wish for. But I feel like at some point, some wrestlers need you know if this was realistic and it was like well brett's going to try and work my legs then try and stop him working your legs would be my you know would be my solution to that if brett's going to target your legs come up with a plan don't just walk into it would would be what i'd say anyway uh after the match brett grabs the u.s flag and chokes patriot with it brett calls everyone a loser or a loser in caladian brett says at least in the uk they get they respect great wrestlers like us. Yeah, they had to quite awkwardly pivot the, uh, you know, Brett and uh, Bulldog into baby faces for the sake of the uh, the UK show. Like, Bulldog's going to get attacked in the... Uh, it was the following night. And Bulldog gets attacked by Michaels and Helmsley. And no one comes out to save him. because like, well, we're in the UK in a couple of weeks, and so Bulldog's got to be a baby face. It's, yeah, it's a long time, all that. Anyway, we're on next to Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker. I think they're also trying to mitigate for the fact that Brett will probably get cheered in the UK anyway. So, you know, yeah, it makes sense. Shawn takes his sweet-ass time to come out. There's a familiar, is slightly muted female scream, followed by probably a flatter reaction than he'd hoped for. Shawn Pyros doesn't go off when it's supposed to, as if he'd need any more reason to be wound up. There's Marlena going by. Undertaker looks in the <laughs> he sparks out the ref I like that Shaw jumps to the floor tells Vince he's done and just walks off Brett should just come out and ref this I got in my notes Michaels walks up the aisle way and Sergeant Slaw orders him back to the ring Undertaker picks up the ref and throws him onto Michaels on the floor. Sean gets right to the door and then takes a, a door by the not as well, not cage. That's next month. He gets right to the door by the set and then take a punch him, then punch him back down the ramp. Taker chokes Michael with an electrical cable. Taker drops the elbow in the ring, then goes to the cover. There's no ref, and I'm not even sure if the match has actually started yet. Out comes another ref. It's Al Hebner. Michaels begs him to disqualify Undertaker. Undertaker gets distracted by Hebner. Michaels charges in with a chop block and the match finally begins. Taker throws Michaels on the top turnbuckle and then kicks him up and down. Michaels gets some good bounces off the top rope for landing nut first. Michaels throws himself over the top. Taker catches him and rounds him back into the ring post twice. A back body drop from Taker for a two. Michaels again tries to leg it but Taker pulls him in. I think a fair number of fans got a view of his arse there. Undertaker goes to swing the chair. Hedner grabs the chair. Michaels levels Taker and in turn the ref. That's two refs if you're counting. Michaels drops an elbow from the top, then another. Shaw makes the pin, but Hedner takes too long to get around. Taker kicks out and launches Michaels onto Hedner. Out comes Rick Rude. He throws in some brass knuckles. Sean hits Undertaker with them, but the ref's out. Another referee comes out. Undertaker just kicks him. Michael uh, Undertaker kicks out, sorry. Michaels punches out the ref and out come Hunter Helmsley in China. 
With Undertaker into the ring steps, who basically wears that bump on his quad, which didn't look fun at all. Michaels helps up Hedner and then just knocks him down. Charles pu- trying to punch his Taker, but that doesn't work. Michaels flies off to the top to save Taker, sacrificing Hunter. Michael slides out of the tombstone. Taker catches a super kick. Taker levels Sean with a brass knocks. He then punches a, uh, Hunter off of the apron. Taker covers Michaels. Hunter can't get there quickly enough, and Michaels just kicks out. Another ref comes out and calls it a disqualification. What the fuck? Three or one after the match, they tie Taker in the ropes. Sean runs it in with a chair, but Taker gets his leg up. Taker manages to tombstone Hunter. Some jobbers run out. Billy Gunn eats a choke slam. Undertaker takes a run up and does a big running dive over the top to the floor onto a load of people for it. Even if you take out the fact that it took 10 minutes for the bell to ring, this, for me at least, at no real point did it ever really feel like a match between The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. It felt like two big angles that you would see on Raw them building up to their first match. It was there were a lot of attacks a lot of big things happened a lot of oh well I can't wait to see what happens next but none of them really felt like they worked in the context of a professional wrestling match. I can remember a lot of the things that occurred Michael's trying to escape through the door idiot, uh, being punched all the way down the uh, all the way down the ramp uh, the big brass knuckle spot, Undertaker kicking out when he's um, tied up in the ropes, all of that. And I liked, I, I liked, when I say, put this on record, I liked pretty much everything we got here. Yet, they never really hooked it up in the way that I ideally would have liked, but now knowing what we know, and this was really a setup for the match they're going to have at next month's pay per view. So I think two big angles, one which Michaels and Co. get the upper hand one which Undertaker gets the upper hand. That is how it felt like to me. And they had to pad for that in some sort of match surrounding, so we needed to have the double DQ where 10,000 referees get attacked, which got farcical and did take me out of the moment a little bit. I think these two have got good chemistry. I think they are capable of cooking up something very, very special. This super cage match could well be the place to do it. I think Michaels, they'll be able to bump around like a madman. Undertaker might be able to use some real big plunder. Some, I can see some huge moves taking place there. So this was kind of the pay-per-view hors d'oeuvre for that in a, in a bizarre roundabout way. I liked it. It's well worth checking out because, again, Michaels in particular takes some, uh, takes some huge bumps to really try and get this feud over. Yet I can't really assess it as a match because it never really felt like one. Pete? Yeah, I think it, it, it kind of served a purpose where... It felt like it was more like a raw main event that had gone to sort of three or four advert breaks during it because it seemed to sort of stop and start between the different spots they were trying to do. I mean, to take, what, nine, ten minutes before we even got the match to begin with was an interesting way and different way, I guess, to start the match. And um, Shawn Michaels playing a little bit of the, you know, the cowardly kind of guy, doesn't really want to get clearly pissed off at what happened at, at SummerSlam. So it did work quite well in that instance. So the amount of ref bumps, though, was just getting ridiculous towards the end. It was just like one comes in, gets beaten down, another one comes in, gets beaten down. And I think Roy's right. It never really was a match. But in all intents, it serves a great purpose to build to now the, is it the hell in the cell where it's the roofed cage where nobody else can really get involved 
unless they've got a, a pair of pliers or uh, something else, or, or the keys, should I say. But it just means these two are going to go at it properly, and it will give Michaels a chance to do probably what he does best, which is bump around for for the for the bigger guy. I mean, the Undertaker's uh, tope was a, a spectacular moment, um, but it felt like the end of a Nitro, the end of a Raw, where the locker room empties out and there's all sorts going on. It's a bit chaotic. Even on an ECW style as well, everything just seems to pile into the ring and, and it all kicks off. But that was a great way of getting Taker's heat back on with the with the, with the big move for him. And I think I, I do want to see these two go again. I think uh, it's something that I want to watch. That'll be interesting to see how the, the Hell in a Cell works out uh, uh, next month. So, yeah, it was... It was it was good for what it was, and I enjoyed it. I think so. It was twenty minutes with nine minutes of outside the ring, but no, it was it was a good way to end. But it was a setup as opposed to uh, a continuation, I guess, of the of the SummerSlam uh, uh, hijinks, I suppose. Yeah, I think uh, I think Hell in a Cell is basically going to be the WF version of WCW's Thunder Cage match, which we haven't seen, I think, since '94. Um, a cage that goes beyond the ring, and obviously that one didn't have a that didn't have a roof, but it had kind of like a an angled top, which in theory made it harder to escape. I suppose is the logic. Although equally, if, if they lock the they lock the cell door and then Undertaker knocks out the ref, I don't really know what they do at that point. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to. Yeah, this was really a match. Um, it was kind of like a it was a an interesting angle, but again, I. I you know, I don't know that you want to be telling people to pay thirty bucks for an angle. Um, you know, the, the the match never really went anywhere. It never really got started to a point. Um, but I don't know that this whole I don't know referees being expendable to this degree is all that good for you. I, I've always felt to a point like it's the it's the thing in WCW with with their commissioners and with their authority figures. And I think it's the same with to a point with the idea with Slaughter. I think once you, you know, WCW done a really good job with their authority figures of basically having them be kind of the final word. I think once refs stop meaning anything, it's like matches start to fall apart. As in once once you can say that knockout referees at their whim on their will without. Any, any real consequences then it becomes very difficult when matches to mean anything because it becomes very difficult to enforce the rules that you need to enforce to be able to make some of these big matches work um, you know perhaps that kind of lends perhaps it's going to lend itself to the stipulation next month but what is to stop Michaels just super kicking the referee next month being like right no ref no result next month like I don't know um, the match was okay like they, they they haven't really got a chance to get going there was so much going on um but I, I just, yeah, I, I think you both kind of hit on it. This this didn't feel, this this wasn't really the culmination of anything. It wasn't really even a, a major chapter. It was just a match to set up another match. And I just don't know that you want to get into that habit of telling people, you know, here's 30 bucks for a means to an end um, on another show that you've then got to pay for. Um, that's problematic, particularly, as you say, Pete, this, is a, this was a TV angle. You know, essentially, this, this could have... Not yeah, you know, it, it would have been a long raw main event, but this couldn't, this may not have felt out of place on a raw. That's a bit of a problem. Um, you know, lots going on, an unsatisfying finish. Um, yeah, it was okay. 
Um, I expect more from Michaels and Taker, and dare I say, I think we'll see more of it next month. Is you're going to build up a, a big kind of cage type match next month? I, I think they'll they'll be on it a bit more next month, and I suspect we'll see a decisive finish. And I suspect that Michaels will win. Is my hunch if they're going to do Michaels and Brett sooner rather than later? It seems like they're moving in that direction. That will be where I suspect they'll go. Uh, Undertaker can wear that kind of loss. I'm not quite sure Michaels can. Um, but we shall see. That will wrap up uh, our, our review of this month's show. We'll do it now, I suppose. Uh, Pete, your overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of 10. Yeah, for, for the show they pitched at 29.95 and back to the normal three-hour, they should have delivered a lot more than they did on this show. It did feel like very much a, an extended roar to a certain extent. Um, the opener was okay. I think we've all agreed the mini-match was probably one of the better matches of the night for entertainment and, uh, and enjoyability. Um, the Patriot and Brett was okay. I didn't think the finish was, was great in that sense, but I guess it, it, it does serve Brett's purpose moving forward. And the main event was just was just a mad, crazy angle. So, um, for me, it was a, a, very, a very poor night in that sense. I think, for me, I'm going to give it a score of 4 out of 10. Rory? Yeah, this should have been some kind of a landmark pay-per-view with it being the first three-hour in-your-house show. At no point did it ever really feel like one, even at its high points. It just felt like a three-hour version of a two-hour old-style in-your-house. And that's not really enough, especially when you know I'm to fork out 30 bucks for it. As we said, there's some good stuff up and down this card. The opener did what it had to and led to an angle which led throughout the month. A good, fun minis match. A title match, which is not everybody's cup of tea, but I really liked. A, a well-played set-up main event, although if you come in, as you would reasonably expect to, watching pay-per-views to see decisive finishes, then you would be let down. And we get only the second-worst triple threat match of the month. <laughs> All of that taken into account. A show which you don't really need to go out of your way to see. But if you have a spare three hours, you can probably just about get through it without too many scrapes. So I'm going to go a bit higher. I'm going to go five out of ten. I think if you have a spare three hours, I'd recommend Full Brawl would be uh, would be my recommendation. This was not a good show. Um, you know, almost all of it was... In fact, yeah, it was all missable. I mean, the minis match is okay. Um, other than that, though, I mean, this is... Uh, yeah, we're seeing worse. I mean, there wasn't... Well, there were a couple of things that were objectively horrible, but there wasn't anything like... You know, we, we've definitely seen worse stretches of shows before, um, but this show had no high points at all. Nothing worth going out of your way to see. And I kind of felt like if I'd have spent 30 bucks and woken up the next morning and been like, eh, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll set the bar a bit higher next time I, I, I decided to buy WF pay-per-view, and that's problematic. Um, they need to give us more on these cards. And the problem is, unlike WCW, they don't have the undercards to do it. And so when you get main events and semi-mains that don't really deliver, I don't think either of these did, the show ends up being really bad rather than some WCW shows we've seen where it's been like, well, the main event didn't deliver, but a really good undercard. And I kind of would have gone away getting my money's worth. I'll give this a two and a half out of ten.
We start Raw on the 8th of September. First Raw of the month comes to us live from Cincinnati, Ohio. Vince is in the ring and introduces Commissioner Slaughter, who gets loudly booed. Despite the chaos of Ground Zero, there will be law and order in the WWF, whether the wrestlers, officials or fans like it or not. Austin's actions last night were completely out of line. He's now suspended until Slaughter receives medical clearance for him. Stone Cold must forfeit the IC title at Bad Blood and present it to the winner of the tournament, which begins tonight. Austin comes to the ring. He'll break the law whenever he wants and nobody can stop him. He will lay a can of whip-ass at Slaughter's door and sure enough he then delivers the Stone Cold Stunner. He then threatens to go after Vince but officials just get between them. Our first match is a no holds barred contest between Brett and Vader. The Mastodon snaps the Canadian flag then goes to town on the Hitman including some stiff belt and step shots. He goes for the Vader bomb but Bulldog breaks it up. He and Brett double-team Vader until the Patriot emerges. Owen then jumps Wilkes and in confusion heart whacks the faces with a chair. Austin tears down the ring and then chases off the foundation. We get impromptu match between the headbangers and the Godwins. A fan who happens, just happens to be dressed like the farmers attacks Marsh with a horseshoe allowing the Godwins to get the win. Afterwards Henry introduces to him his uncle Cletus. You may remember, his, may remember him as T.L. Hopper. Dude Love, accompanied by Goldust, is scheduled to take on Pillman in the first round of the Intercontinental Tournament. Brian, though, phones in and says he will not turn up until his safety becomes guaranteed. Instead, he rolls the tape entitled Brian Pillman's XXX Files. We see Pillman in a hotel room, which is suspiciously untidy. Dustin, it's almost 10 o'clock. Do you know where your wife is? Goldust breaks down in the ring. The world's smallest athlete, Max Mini, is in action against Piratita Morgan. Max wins with fun match with the Magistral. Vince talks to Undertaker mid-ring. Last night, he and Michaels opened the gates of hell. That, though, was only the beginning, as he will not rest until the flesh is rotting from Sean's bones. Next month, he is against Michaels in a match called Hell in a Cell. There will be no way out and no way in. That is when the music stops and the tolling of the bell begins. Sean appears on the Tron and tells us he escaped last night because he's a survivor. If I'm going in that coffin, you, my friend, are coming with me. Iron vs Goldust is next in the Intercontinental Tournament. Goldust gets disqualified after a succession of low blows. The Foundation beat him up until once more Austin hits the ring, this time armed with a broom. He then proceeds to throw that at Vince on the announce table. Part 2 of the XXX Files then airs. After a hard day's work, Terry needs a hot shower. Have to use our imagination here, but just barely, Brian's going to have a hard time tonight. Brett is in the back. He angrily declares the hyena Austin needs to be suspended from the WWF in life. Triple threat match between Patriot Helmsley and Bulldog doesn't take place as HHH and Michaels attack Davey on the ramp, destroying his leg with a steel chair. Savio dutifully steps in instead. HBK joins them commentary. He says, I'm the one running things around here. Huge boring chance during this one. Helmsley wins with a roll-up. Following the match, Hunter, Sean and China grab chairs to prevent the Bariquas and Vader getting in the ring. The hearts then appear, but we quickly go off the air. We're in Muncie, Indiana on September the 15th. We start thing off with all things a match. Shamrock taking on Farouk in the Intercontinental Tournament. Ken bleeds from the mouth early during this one but wins with a belly-to-belly suplex. Afterwards, Farouk hits the Dominator and the Nation come down to get some shots in. But Hank and Animal show up to run the heels off. We hear from Austin backstage propping up a forklift truck. He doesn't care about Owen's apparent surprise tonight and Hart has a payback coming to him. 
Takamichi Yoku faces off against El Pantera. Pantera looks good on offense, but Taka wins with the driver. Recall and Sniper of the Truth Commission against the LOD. Legion are about to win with a doomsday device, but Interrogator crawls back into the ring to break it up. Sharrock runs to the ring to try and fail to get the Interrogator off his feet, and we then yet another huge brawl with the nation getting involved. Piratita Morgan and El Torito team up against Mr. Lucky and our new best friend Max Mini. Max gets the pin on Torito with a flying headbutt. We do get Dude Love against Pillman this week. Brian Albert drags Marlena out through the curtain. She's clad in a nose ring and not much else. She cuts a brief promo beforehand saying she misses her baby, her husband and her home. She then tries to leave during the match but Pillman pulls her back and then berates her. Dude tunes up the sweet shin music but Goldust in jeans and a t-shirt hits the ring through the crowd and beats on Pillman. The loose cannon advances in the IT title tournament as a result of a disqualification and he escapes with Marlena as Dustin is restrained. Laura is in the ring to interview Austin. Austin tells Owen that all he's doing right now is playing him as he takes it, he can take his ass out whenever he wants. The Foundation appear on the ramp and Brett calls Steve a hoser. Owen then says for once he's getting the best out of the American justice system as Austin gets served with a restraining order. He can't come within 100 feet of Owen without going to jail. Lawler says to Austin that he shouldn't put up with this and he pays with a stunner. Owen is now in action versus the Patriot. Austin tears up the restraining order right in Owen's face and the Patriot scores a roll up for the win. Owen calls the cops to arrest Austin but he casually disappears through the crowd. JR talks to HBK and Ring. The only thing Sean hasn't done so far in the WWF is to become European champion. He will go on to become the first man to win all four major titles. As for The Undertaker, Hell in a Cell will not be the demise of Shawn Michaels. If he goes down, he's bringing everyone with him and he's going down in a blaze of glory. The dead man then appears on the trance to tell us the cell will be Sean's final resting place. Tonight's main event sees Brett and Davey go for the tag titles against the headbangers. Second gear stuff all the way here until all four men are in the ring. Bulldog hits Marsh with the power slam for a three count and seemingly the belts, but Hebner then realises Thrasher was the legal man. The match continues, but almost immediately Davey grabs the US flag and attacks Thrasher with it for the bell. Patriot and Vader make their predictable showing after a disrespect, so we go off the air with what else? But a WWF can guarantee me and Marlena... A safe environment. Besides, I'm physically exhausted from last night. I do it! Whew. She's a real dynamo. But even though I can't be there in person, I had a little tape made. And the producer could be so kind to play it for us right now. Oh my gosh. Part one of Brian Pillman's X-Files. <laughs> oh my gosh! Ryan Pillman left with a. No. Woohoo! Hi, Dustin. Welcome to Brian Pillman's X Files, Day One. I gotta give you credit though. I've been on the road 10 years, two-time All-American, world-class athlete, NFL, and look at me, I'm exhausted, but for good reason, and you'll see that later when I show you this room. 
And I thought she was just a monkey. She's a machine. She's an animal. But happens. But you know what? Nothing comes between my Calvin Kleins and me. Except, of course, your wife, Terry. <laughs> oh my goodness, what happened here last night? Somebody started riding here? And look at this bed. Look at it. Feel that thing. I have to get some new box springs from this baby tomorrow. <laughs> Dustin, it's almost 10 o'clock. Do you know where your wife is? Well, I do. Because part two of Boomer's X-Files is going to be live and in color. <laughs> couple of things to finish on at least the first two tvs of the month the uh, the second half of the tvs will be covered in part two uh the second show of the month is a pre-tape and is basically a non-event uh rory can attest to that um but there oh, are yeah. a couple of things there are a couple of things from uh from the first show worth uh, worth worthy discussion there's an angle on the, on the opening of the first show that will you know involves austin you know attacking sergeant slaughter so i'm going to let rory deal with that in part two because that will snowball into to what they're discussing there um but there are a couple of things on this show uh, that i think are of note starting with brian pillman's xxx files um, we kind of lead off of what we discussed and what we saw on the pay-per-view with Pillman, you know, basically taking my lady to the back, really against her will. In you know, we talk about optics; it wasn't great. Um, and then again, bundling her into a car and speeding off again, optics not great. Uh, we then cut to Pillman in uh, two pre-taped segments. They present the second one as live. There obviously wasn't. Uh, basically implying that he just finished having sex with Marlena and that he was waiting for round two. It's essentially a, a distilled version of those segments. Uh, you know, there was sort of Marlena's clothing on the bed and, you know, the, one of the I think the second segment, they, Pillman's in the bathroom in the hotel room and there's the insinuation, at least, that someone's showering in there. Um, you know, and in some respects... As much as what they were implying wasn't very good, there was no direct insinuation. You could easily justify saying it was Pillman trying to get into Goldust's head because Marlena was never present in either segment. She wasn't shown. She wasn't. It wasn't like we could hear or anything like that. It, you know, you could you could justifiably say this was Pillman using, you know, smoke and mirrors. Well, steam and mirrors, I suppose, technically was true, um, in a way to try and get into Goldust's head. So I think there is at least that, um, but. Pete, I, 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 to me, I don't know. I, I don't know that implying that Pillman is having sex with a woman against her will is particularly a strong visual, whether it's just a, you know, whatever, or a strong implication. And again, I come back to what I said uh, during the match review. I don't particularly know that Goldust is over at a point where people really care. That's going to be the biggest fail of the whole thing, is that actually people really don't, and I guess they had to go here after, you know, insinuating and, and Jerry Lawler had the uh, the constant monologues throughout the, the night about, you know, Pillman and, and what he was up to or going to be up to all night with, uh, with Marlena. 
Uh, I was slightly horrified we were actually going to see more than we thought of Brian Pillman at one point in that towel, but thank God he had a pair of pants on because it was a bit worrying at one point. Then we got a good view of his Calvin, which nobody wanted to see either, but he was obviously very proud of himself stood there. Um, as you say, it's all about the mind games. It's all about, because as I say, Marlena wasn't there. There were no, like, she wasn't screaming in the background or she wasn't bloody chained to the bed. It wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't go, it didn't go that far, thank God. I mean, who's to say it might not go that further in the future? Um, but it, it sets up, but it, it's obviously pissed off Gold Dust because obviously he comes out during the, uh, um, sort of matches to interfere, doesn't he, in Pillman's IC title, uh, match, uh, sorry, tournament match. So clearly he's getting to him, but Rhea Marlena seems, when she came out on Raw in her little black, uh, black attire, um, it seemed like she's almost semi-enjoying it a little bit as well. I don't know if she's not playing the character that well, or I don't know. I think the trouble is you've got the wrong character in Goldust playing the guy who's trying to... And I think it's just it's not going to work, but... I'm, Where's it going to go? Where else can they go? But they have to keep it going. I suppose it's thirty days worth of this. So, uh... so I understand it. The idea is is that they might try and kind of have Marlena, you know, maybe a bit of Stockholm syndrome, or maybe just a change of character. Eventually, kind of side with Pillman. In their, yeah. in, their, in their latest attempt to try and get some sympathy onto gold dust, whether that'll work or not, I don't know. I think that's what they can do. That makes sense. If she does do that, then I think that might elicit some sympathy, or they'll just take the piss out of him because he's lost his wife to Brian Pillman. So I think he's in a no win, isn't he, really? Because he dresses like an idiot, Rory. Well, first thing, Spot, bravo for steam and mirrors. There's got to be an award coming your way for that one. If there isn't, we're going to knock one up very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> chapeau, my friend, chapeau. Uh, yes, I loved and hated these skits in absolute equal measure. My love for them came to the fact that Brian Pillman has any kind of mouthpiece for anything. He can, he can make anything work. The proverbial ice to the Eskimos. He's just all his... Now, he's riddled with flaws in the ring now, as we know, but... As a talker, he is still absolute par excellence. He's witty, he's funny, he's curt, he's to the point, and he's verbose. He is fantastic. I think this would fall flat on its face if he was not involved in it, especially considering the fact that Goldust is just not over as a face, and Marlena, bless her. I know this must be a hard thing to try and do, but she just cannot act. Anyway, so Pillman is carrying this, and he's doing a brilliant job. However, we cannot look past the fact about what is the basis of these skits, and that is the very clear insinuation that Brian Pillman is having illicit sex with the wife, who's portrayed on television as the wife of one of his co-workers. Professional wrestling does not need to go there. I'm not saying that pro wrestling should be based on storylines where somebody has their jacket stolen or ends with somebody getting a custard pie in their face. Now, it's quite right that the business is now starting to move beyond that. Absolutely. I don't want to be treated as a child. On the other, on the other hand, all but saying if you win this professional wrestling match on a pay-per-view you get to have your own wicked way with a valet for 30 days. We don't need that. And if, as you're saying, and I think you might well be right on this one, 
that this ends up with Marlena siding with Pillman, then that also opens a whole new Pandora's box in its own right, saying, hang on a minute, she was taken against her will, she was bundled into a car, and now we find out she really quite liked it. No, that's going to take way too much explaining, and I don't think it's the job of pro wrestling to do that. Particularly so, when God just fails to capitalise on even that. It, well, there you go, and that just shows what a failure he has been as a character as well, which is the real you know, thumb in the ointment here, in my opinion. So, yes, these are, these are, again, these are brave and these are bold, and they've got one of the right people in there to carry it off. Yet they've got to be really, really careful that they don't outright start offending some people. And I reckon our friends at USA Network are going to be watching this very closely now as well. So I would tread very carefully. Yeah, um, to me, just... Yeah, to me, it's not a bad idea. Um, I think there's better ways of presenting it, and you know, there's, you know, there, there's more to the story to come. But I just don't know that Goldust is capable of holding up that side of the deal. Like, I don't think he's a babyface strong enough. I don't know if people care about him enough. And I'm sure this is the idea. That's the point. You know, they they haven't picked Goldust for the angle. They picked the angle for Goldust. Um, and so the idea is to try and get him over. Um, I just don't think it's going to work. I don't think enough people care about him, and you know. Yeah, the, the pill, the pill stuff on Raw is okay. I don't have a problem with it because I say that it was, you know, she wasn't ever presented as being there in any way, shape, or form. So the idea was that Pill was just fucking with gold dust, fucking with his head, right? Um, so that's fine. Like I have more problems with the optics on the pay per view than I do on this show, even though you know I don't think either particularly strong. Um, I just don't know that you can't you can play this angle off the perfection. I still don't know where it. Whether anything anyone gets over as a result, that would be my bigger problem. That anyway, let's talk about this main event. The the worse the barrel scraping threshold <laughs> Um So like in theory, as it was presented, I believe the idea was it was going to be Hunter Hearst Helmsley versus Patriot versus the British Bulldog, and so they send Savio Vega out on commentary. <laughs> because you know he's, he's always entertaining I mean, it, it can't be any worse than ring work I suppose and then because they're setting up the angle for the one night only pay-per-view in the UK Shawn Michaels and Hunter S. Helmsley and China come out and attack Bulldog and because they're trying to get sympathy on Bulldog nobody comes out to save him which doesn't really make sense but it's fine so Bulldog gets taken out of the match Hunter's in it anyway and then Savio seeing this goes well, fuck it, we're still going to have a three-way. I'll get involved. No one stops him. And Vincent Myers, his own product, doesn't think, oh, Savio, no, I think I'll just go with the two guys in the ring, mate. I, I think we're all right. I, I think Patriot and Hunter could go all right. I don't want you involved. So we have a triple threat. And it was fucking atrocious. Three guys, no coordination, no timing, no heat, no, you know... No good spots, few good moves. They don't care about any of them, which doesn't help. Savio Vega, who's a problem enough in himself. And then we get boring chants in a main event. Like, quite sustained, quite loud boring chants on two separate occasions. Um, Pete, this was really bad. I, I blame you, Bob, because you messaged us about, obviously, watching the uh, the best potential triple threat match uh Ever, or was that, I think there's a comment on the message you sent to us, so I was kind of hoodwinked into thinking 
that maybe... Oh, you didn't pick up the sarcasm in that message. Oh, I, I, I wish I had done a lot earlier. I'm glad. I'm glad. I, 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 I tuned in, you know, almost popcorn in hand, ready to go. Sabia Vega was in the match. Come on, the sarcasm that's, was inside. That's, that's my whole point. Anyway, um, oh, God. The worrying thing to me is Triple H or Hunter Hearst Helmsley, who's now obviously massively affiliated with Shawn Michaels and is probably on his way up was just lost out there with... I know he had Savio, I know he had the Patriot, but the Patriot held his own with Bret Hart, you know. He's not he's not completely a guy who can't be relied upon to, to pull a match. Savio, we know, is the proverbial... Well, I wouldn't say... I'd probably just call him a shit wheel rather than the third wheel, but, I mean, for a main event for Raw, I don't know. I mean, I know Savio was bigging up that he was the king of the triple threat matches, wasn't he? He was the... He was the guy. I guess that's why he strolled into the ring, and I thought I'll just I'll just get on with it. But my word, it was absolutely true. And, and and to be fair, most of the rules recently and stuff has been it's been quite good. It's been quite you know Austin's been doing loads of good stuff. Has been, but the way Bulldog got beaten down, and they had um, the graphic of Brett Owen and Bulldog previously out there doing a little promo about the UK, etc. They didn't come out. I think you said earlier on it's to set up maybe the the babyface side for for for, for Davy, but it looked ridiculous that Sean and Hunter were kicking the crap out of him on the rails with China there sort of standing guard when Brett and Owen we know full well are in the back just sitting there watching Davy Boy getting absolutely beaten apart. No one comes out, and then and then someone decides. Well, do you think that actually they decided Savio should be there, or do you think Vince actually seriously went no? sit back down, Savio, stay there and commentate, or did he actually go, Savio, go, go, go. Make make this match a, a, a one-star rather than, I'm sorry, a two-star rather than a one-star, but it was just, uh, it was awful. And I'm, I'm never going to uh, listen to a message or read it again with your sarcasm, Bob, because you've ruined that 10 minutes of my life. The only way Savio Vega could turn a one-star wrestling match into a two-star wrestling match is if you were grading it on a hundred-star scale. <laughs> then it would then be fine. Then you'd probably get away with it. That, well, that is a fair point. <laughs> it's, uh, Savio, Savio Vega, man. Savio Vega. He actually strikes me as the, the only person in the world who would actually be proud to be the king of the triple threat match. I mean, what sort of an epithet is that, for crying out loud? When I Savio is going to cling to it, oh my God, you're going to have to wrestle it from him. Yes, somebody must just be messing with my head, I think, because they know I'm doing the top 20 worst matches of the year in a few months' time. They're just trying to make my life uh, even more difficult than it already is. No, they're but, not. This is going to slot in right near the top. Yeah. The tw- 20 is already looking like... Uh, no, I'm certainly at this point. Some, some, some classics are going to have to be left out here, Bob. It's going to be quite the headache, I tell Mind-numbingly dreadful. Boring chance. We haven't really got a whole lot of them. Now, you could say that the way Raw has been over the last few months, where a lot of matches have been shorter, a lot of, even a lot of main events have ended with uh, crash bangs and wallops, there's been no real cause for them. Okay, I get that. But even so, that felt really quite out of left field to me. And uh, it's a major warning sign and completely deserved those boring chants were. Do not get me wrong on that one. Yes, this main event went 17 minutes, apparently, and it felt every single bit of it. I don't even know what it was actually meant to achieve either. There's no real need for any of them to be out there. If you're going to do a thing where the board needs to be beaten down to put heat on the next pay-per-view in, in, uh, in England, then just do it. He doesn't need to be coming up uh, to any sort of match. But yeah, awful. Stultifyingly awful. 
Yeah, I mean, imagine imagine this as a slightly better way of doing that, which would involve having Owen Hart out there for a main event, Bret Hart out there for commentary, and then we cut backstage to find that Bulldog's been attacked by Sean and by Triple H. And then you, you end up with Owen Hart in a main event. I know he's kind of involved there in the show, but, you know, you can book this whole thing yourself. And then you end up with an angle that makes sense. It's explained why there's nobody, nobody's got Bulldogs back. And then there we go. I mean, not, not that was the biggest problem. I mean, you know, WCW have gotten over in the last 12 months on Nitro with nobody coming out to save anybody. You know, it whether it should work or not is by the by. It generally does. Um, but yeah, I just don't know. You know the, all of these acts are cold. I don't know who thought. Oh yeah, triple threat main event. You know, tri- triple threat is forever. It doesn't matter, right? Savio Vega, Patriot, Hunter Hurst, they're all they're all popular in in what universe? I don't know. Um, and yeah, it just didn't. You know, the finish as well. Finish was really special. Like you know, Patriot kind of went on the top turnbuckle for no real reason, and then I think. Is it Hunter that catapults Savio, or Savio that catapults Hunter, who kind of falls short and ends up kind of headbutting the turnbuckle, which knocks Patriot down? Shawn Michaels then kind of gets on the apron and basically just starts having a chat with Patriot, while Hunter gets in the ring and kind of sorts out his pinning combination on Savio. Then the match ends, and Shawn then shoves Patriot off the top turnbuckle, because that was the logical time to do it, and then gets in the ring and starts to beat down, and fuck knows what, I don't know... Just, you know, be better. You're up against Nitro. Oh, that's better than not. But be better than this. Like, this is your free hour, right? Like, you know, you're, you you get... Nitro gets 8 to 10, then you come on... You're, you're online from 9, and then people tune in from 10 o'clock. That's... Put your best shit in that spot. It's the war zone. Yeah. Yeah, it is. God, it will be if they put people in these matches. Man, <laughs> man, 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 start writing, man. I mean... It takes a lot in wrestling to get sustained boring chance. It really does. Think about the amount of bad stuff we've seen over the past four years. It takes a lot. Boring chance are very infrequent. There's a lot of stuff that deserves it, doesn't get it. To get it twice, really impressive. And that's where we'll end this part of this volume of this month's show. Um... Big thank you to Peter Kimmer. Pete, thank you very much. Thanks, Bob and Roy. Pleasure as always. Thanks for having again. Uh, Pete, um, tell people about your podcast and Twitter and anything else you like to promote. Yeah, my podcast is Card Subject to Change. You can find it all over your normal podcast. We talk mainly current WWE products, so uh, totally out of this timeline. And you can find me on, sorry, you can find that on at CSTC Podcast. And I'm on Twitter at PKimber1. And as I found out this month, apparently uh, Jinder Mahal is WWE champion. I, I, yes, I, I, what a time to be alive. Speaking of sarcasm, I, I heard that, but I assumed it was a joke. No, um, you, you've give, got that wrong. Given that the last time I watched WWE Monday for any sustained period of time, Jinder Mahal was a jobber, but there we are. He's um, the modern day Maharaja, just so you know. He, well, he's the modern day Savio Vega in a way. Like I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just... Like, I'm trying to imagine an alternative timeline where, like, Savio Vega's in 1997 like this and then he's WWE champion in 2000. Like, uh, you know, just because Vince McMahon thinks, ah, shit, we need to take over Puerto Rican market. I don't know. He's had, um, he's had a title for about five months now. So it's Yeah, it's been a while now. He's, he's held yeah, on. Yeah, so back, back, back in May he won it, yeah. Yeah, it's been a bit uh, a while now. Yeah. Man, this, this, this alternative... So, 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 so
Yes, in uh, yes, in the, we're in the twenty fourth year of this podcast. <laughs> I mean, the, the podcast might still be going, but I won't be on it. I'll say that. Uh, and uh, thank you to Rory McNamara. Rory, thank you very much. My pleasure. Uh, Rory, people can find you on Twitter at RorsDM. R O R S D M. And Rory will be taking you through the rest of this month's actions. We uh, head to England to look at the uh, the, the one night only pay per view and a rather rather significant angle involving Steve Austin and Vince McMahon in Volume Two, Part Number Two. There are two other volumes for this month. As I said, there is the Volume Two, Part Two I just mentioned. Volume Number One takes the WCW looking at Full Brawl. That is a very good pay per view, by the way. If you if you are looking to spend three hours watching a pay per view, I probably wouldn't recommend uh, listening to watching the one we just reviewed. <laughs> I probably recommend the other one. Uh, volume Number Three takes us to ECW, looking at there as good as it gets live event. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Boy Bambi. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Wrestling Twenty RS. While we're on Patreon, if you'd like to say thank you and get early access to shows like these, you can do so at patreoncom Wrestling Twenty RS. Uh, website is Wrestling Twenty RS.com. All the back episodes and blogs. I'm going to hopefully catch up on all the blogs that need to go up there, and hopefully you'll start writing again soon. It's been one of those. Uh, uh, I, I say one of those few months. It's the summer. Things shift gets busy and my uh, my time gets stretched a little bit further uh, but I'll do that this has been I've been Bob Bam this has been volume number two part number one of the September 1997 edition of the Western 20 years ago podcast and until next time goodbye <laughs>